Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Did you read the book, Heather? Damn straight I did. (laughs) You're damn straight I did. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson, and you're listening to the Nerdette Book Club. It's just like a normal book club, except you don't have to share the amazing treats you made. I am here with Heather Haverleski, who writes the Ask Polly advice column for New York Magazine. Hey, Heather. Hi. Is it true that you read this book in the last, like, 24 hours? Yes, I did. I started it yesterday afternoon. There's nothing more invigorating uh-huh. than reading a book with a gun yeah. pointed at your head. You, you missed, you missed that, that deadline feeling, huh? <laughs> and we are joined by Jill Hopkins, host of The Morning Amp on WBEZ's sister station Vocalo. She also hosted a little podcast here at WBEZ called Making Beyonce. No big deal, no big deal, no big deal. Hey, Jill. Hey, white people. <laughs> Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. All right. So we're also going to hear from some of you. We got some great listener voicemails that we'll listen to later on. So we are talking about the book Such a Fun Age. This is a debut novel by Kylie Reed. It came out on December 31st. It was super buzzy. New York Times called it provocative yet soapy, which I love. We're about to spoil the shit out of this book. If you're the kind of person who isn't super into reading books and loves spoilers like my friend Amy, you're welcome. Carry on. If you, like me, are so afraid of spoilers that you don't even read the back of the book before you read the book, go read the book. Come back and listen. That's the whole point of the podcast book club. We will still be here for you. Should we get started? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so (laughs) this book opens with one of the most intense, fascinating chapters I've read in a really long time. We have Mira. She's our main character. She's at her friend's 26th birthday party. And it's after 10 o'clock on a Saturday night, and she gets a call from the mother of the child Amira babysits, whose name is Alix. And Alix is asking her to babysit right then and there. She's like, something happened to our house. We need to call the police because it's been vandalized. It would be really helpful to us if you could get our two-year-old out of the house and just, like, take her to the grocery store and hang out with her for a while. Amira is this, like, you know, mid-20s babysitter. She's a black girl. She really can't afford to say no, right? Like, Mm. this woman, Alix, offers her double time and to pay her cab fare. So she's like, sure, I'll leave this birthday party. I'm going to do it. Like, that's solid math. So she leaves the party with her friend Zara, and they go to the house of Alix to pick up Briar, the little kid, and then they go to the grocery store. And Heather, do you want to do you want to jump in here? What happens at the grocery store? Well, I guess Briar really, and this is maybe one of the best written little girl characters right? I've ever read yes. anywhere. It's almost like every single line must be lifted from some child somewhere. Yes. Um, I have two daughters, and this was spot on. Like, mm. her entire personality I loved. Yeah. But she likes to look at the nuts in the—you <laughs> can kind of picture, like, a 
Whole Foodsy sort of yeah, um, like in the bulk section and just yeah. like yep, just these columns of nuts and plastic tubes. <laughs> so so loitering in this high end grocery store is not foreign to them at all. They've done this before, and it's immediately this great scene where. Amira and Zara are dancing in the frozen food aisle, I mm-hmm. believe, mm-hmm. Um, because a someone in Houston song comes on. Which one is it? I want to dance with somebody. Yeah. <laughs> I want to dance with somebody. Yeah. You, it is literally physically impossible. This is just science. that You can't not dance yeah. when hearing that yeah. song. And even if you're not dancing, you're definitely going to go, I want to feel the heat with somebody. It's your legal obligation. I don't know what happens first. Some terrible Karen passes them and is suspicious. <laughs> terrible Karen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A rando white lady who looks like she's smiling along with them dancing. Hey. Mm-hmm. Oh, the first down, snake hey. appearance in the novel. <laughs> and yeah, she ends up like going to the grocery store security guard and expressing concern that these two young black women dancing with this small white child in the frozen food section are like up to no good. So from there, things get really tense. The security guard essentially, you know, is accusing Amira of kidnapping Briar. Uh, we should mention Zara, the friend, has left at this point. So it's just Amira and Briar. And he he tells her she's not dressed like a babysitter. But she had just been at this birthday party, yeah. right? So And, like, what did he expect? She was going to pull a lamp out of a carpet bag? <laughs> Take off on her umbrella. Like, yeah, what the yeah. hell does a babysitter dress like? Right, right. And so, meantime, like, it's getting heated enough that this other guy who's at the grocery store starts filming the interaction. Like, he's got his phone out and he's recording it all. And he's even, like, interjecting, you know, like when the security guard asks her for ID. He's like, you don't have to do that. Like, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania law, like, you don't have to do any of this stuff. And she, Amira, is just like, trying to diffuse the situation as well as she possibly can. But it's just one of those situations where, I mean, like, we've all seen enough, you know, dash cam footage to know that this could go super wrong, right? Yeah, and I was yeah. bracing myself for it, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah, me too. Like, it's it's intense, and you can tell that Amira is trying so desperately to keep her cool, even though she's also, like, extremely indignant and offended and frustrated. that Well, once suspicion enters the picture and and you can almost feel, like, the panic set in because yeah. it's like, oh, my God, this guy doesn't trust me. He's just going straight to you're some sort of criminal. I'm sure of it, which is insanity. But it's a familiar, you know, acceleration. We've seen it. But I think that moment points to Amira's her strength as a babysitter, as a mm-hmm. companion to this little yeah. girl, and that she's obviously thinking of Briar before she's thinking of herself and her Mm -hmm. safety. And if she wasn't equipped to handle the police at home, what makes you think that she'd be equipped to deal with a more immediate police presence in this grocery store? Yeah. Poor thing. I think the other piece that's, I mean, there are a lot of things that are disturbing about it, but the security guard and this other, the woman we've called Karen now is uh, she, they both try to talk to Briar they both like essentially ignore Amira and try to get this little kid to explain what's happening and who Amira is, which is so. Go ahead, tell us you're being kidnapped. Tell, right, tell right, us the truth, right. Funny. You know, and Amira <laughs> then is just feels like she's being completely erased and ignored in this scenario, which I think also makes it just like just really intense and hard to read. Yeah. And this was like the first. This is like what ten pages. This is in? Ten 15? pages. Oh my god. 
And I had already at this point at least twice said to myself, mm-hmm, been there. Oh, and oh it was so – I couldn't read this book before bed until the like the first night and the last night that I tried to read it because I had to finish it. This yeah. was like setting off all sorts of like anxiety triggers for me. And it was uh, – it was a roller coaster. I'm sorry sure. to put you through. Oh my god! <laughs> no, I was going to read it anyway. <laughs> Ugh. So, so from there, the situation ends up being, I guess, more or less resolved because Amira says she's going to call Briar's dad. She's like, and she literally says, like, he's a white dude. I'm sure everyone will feel much more comfortable when he's here. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so she calls up the dad of Briar, this uh, TV news anchor named Peter Chamberlain, and he like jogs over from his house and like immediately diffuses the situation and takes Briar home. And it was the healing power of whiteness. The healing power of whiteness. Uh, when y'all figure out how to bottle it, ooh. Uh, it's expensive. That's how you get rich. Yeah, it's super, super <laughs> pricey. Organic whiteness is so costly. So Amira is leaving the grocery store and this dude who is filming the interaction is like, yo, you should have this video. And she wants nothing to do with it. She's like, no, like, I'm not going to like whatever you think I'm about to do in terms of lawsuits or anything. That is not what I want to do. Please don't let me have anything to do with this. And he says, how about this? I'll email it to you and then I'll delete it off my phone and you can do whatever you want with it from there. But like you should at least have it. And so she gives him her email address and he emails it to her. And then she calls up her friend Zara and they meet up. And she like tries to play it cool for a really long time. And then at the end of the chapter, this is actually the moment that you tweeted about yesterday, Heather. Yeah. She she just like breaks down. We should What's read the, the actual thing. Yeah, Let's you? read it. Here I have it. Okay. Girl, Zara says, that could have been bad. Amira laughed and said, Z, it's fine. But then she put the back. Oh my god, I'm gonna cry. Mm. But then she put the back of her hand to. <laughs> Fuck, oh, sweetie. <laughs> ah, there's something about this. It's like restra- when I mean, it's ironic, but there's something about rest- trying to restrain, like trying to be tough and restrain your emotion, is like my. It just fucking breaks me. Okay. Mm. She put the back of her hand to her mouth and silently started to cry. The fact that it's still restrained tears even at that point, right? Where she's like, she's still, she's like letting herself fall apart, but she's still holding herself together as much as she possibly can is just like, really. Yeah. So that's page 19. And that's such a good, I mean, the first chapter, first of all, the clip that it moves at is so fast. It's so quick. Yeah. And you're just being, you're rushing along in this roller coaster ride, like, oh, Jesus, no, no, no. And which yeah. I think is a brilliant because it's exactly like being in one of those, how it must feel to be in an insane situation where you're panicking. Mm-hmm. And there's, it's almost like there's nothing you can say to change yep. it. Well, and I think it shows so much about her character too, because she's obviously, as you mentioned, Jill, like super concerned about the well being of this kid. And she's extremely responsible, you know, like there's this line before she even leaves the birthday party where she like checks for her wallet and her phone like she is like on top of everything. And, you know, and she even discloses to the mother when she calls. She's like, just so you know, like I'm not dressed like a babysitter. I've had a couple drinks, you know, like she does everything right. And yet the situation still happens. This is uh, the first in this book that I think we take a a look at the double-edged sword of being a strong black woman Mm. or the perception of being a strong black woman, whether it be Mm -hmm. from other people or of yourself. 
especially if you are charged with the the care of somebody else uh, who is defenseless, then you find yourself having to be this strong thing for that person and then not wanting to drop that guard even when you're with your closest friend because we're expected to and you kind of internalize that expectation that society puts on you and you expect yourself to and uh, it's exhausting (laughs) to be totally frank it's very tiring I can only imagine the kind of sleep that Amira Mm. got that night Uh, heavy but fretful is 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 what I would project onto that and it's it's it is you know Something that she's clearly had to deal with her whole life and continues to deal with through uh, her interactions with with Mm -hmm. lots of the other characters. It was really something. It was really something. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, too, how throughout the rest of the book, you know, a number of different white people keep telling her how sorry they are that the thing happened at the grocery store. Or, like, you know, they all lose their minds about it and are like, oh, my God, are you okay? This is so intense. You know, the lawsuit, blah, blah, blah. And every time she's so consistent about never communicating to anyone how impactful and stressful that moment was for her. Well, then she takes on the stress of just thinking about what would happen if this video gets out. Right, right. Yeah, and that's something that we have seen in real life all the time. When, you know, somebody gets caught with their hand in the racist cookie jar and then the person on the other side of that is now the inadvertent target of the internet's criticism like the person who calls 911 at the people barbecuing the park mm-hmm. that was their choice to call 911 the people barbecuing the park were just barbecuing the park they're minding right, their own right, business right. it's it's karen who thinks they're booty dancing yeah in the frozen foods aisle so why bring all this internet attention to yourself if mm-hmm. you don't have to even and, and then you weigh it against i don't have any money this could be right right my ticket out of this crappy lifestyle and even when you weigh that against the ire of racists on the internet, it still didn't seem worth it to Well, because yeah. even then it's like, I don't have any money, sure, but then also, like, how am I going to, like, what are people going to think of me when I'm applying for jobs yeah. because this thing happened, right? Like, there are just so many other repercussions around all of it. Just, I just think having to represent and be the face of anything just sucks, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. I mean, but not that many people are built to take on that kind of a role. It's a hard role to just walk around and then everyone sees you as, it's like being Florence the progressive lady, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like, now that's what you are everywhere you go and you've got to hold forth with sound bites on this cause that you didn't necessarily want to begin with. I mean, it's rough. Yeah. And part of it, right, is that, like, Amira is 25. She's she's babysitting. She's also, like, transcribing stuff for the Green Party a couple days a week. She has not figured out. She's a college graduate who does not know what her next steps are. And when she turns 26, she will lose her health insurance because she's on her parents' health insurance. So it is just like a very significant time in her life in terms of like, what the fuck am I doing and how do I like figure out how to get my shit together? What were you doing with yourself when you were 25? <laughs> yeah, right. Getting drunk a lot. Oh, so much. <laughs> yeah. I want that guy with the fade. He sounded really good. Um, <laughs> But I, I just wanted to say, Amira is also the only character in the entire book who's not, I mean, okay, this might not be completely accurate, but out of most of the characters, she's not an opportunist at all. And yeah. in some ways, she's the most present uh-huh. character in the book also. She's able to connect with Briar at a really kind of basic, not basic, but a deep kind of uh, experiential yeah. level. Pure. 
Yeah, a pure, yeah. sweet, amazing level. Um, and it, and in some ways, her lack of, I don't want to say lack of ambition, but an ability to not think about the future all the time, which is a quality, right? Yeah. Like yeah. she's she's living her life in the moment in kind of a very clear way that a lot of the other characters aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I think, too, it's important to note that she was the first one in her family to go to college, which mm-hmm. also means that, like, she doesn't have a lot of templates in her life, probably, mm-hmm. for what she is supposed to be doing. So she just it kind of seems like she's unmoored. She's sort of at a loss, but she knows that she's really good at taking care of this little girl. And she really loves this kid. She, uh, of, of all of her friends, seems to be enjoying the luxury of youth the least mm, yeah <laughs> wow yeah, that's true yeah. the, the rest of them are like you know four 25 26 year olds they have their acts together and you know this is one of the times in the book i was like you know what just at me next time like why do you have to call out my life <laughs> or she's got this like loud existential ticking going on yeah. in her mind that doesn't exist in the minds of the other young characters yeah. here and so she's not fully able to go out on Five-day trips to wherever. She can't go to the expensive place for dinner. She's, you know, kind of scrambling, Mm -hmm. and it's taking its toll on her well-being. And God bless those friends of hers for still getting it and still hanging out. Because when you're like that age, your friends that you thought you had forever, they start to fall away. And it's really hard for you to understand and accept while it's happening. Yeah. I love those scenes with her friends. They're so They're so well written and so vivid and so amazing. Like, I was just like, I I, I wish these were my friends so bad. I love how they mock each other. It's awesome. I want friends that mock each other openly more, actually. (laughs) Um, You don't want that. Yeah, I do. My friends That's and I, I love. We, when I moved out of Chicago when I was like 23 years old, I tried to live in New York for a minute. My friends threw me like a Friars Club roast. I sat on a stage oh for two hours. Luxury. Luxury. These people just called me sluts and whores. Oh, yeah. And drunks and bitches. This is my, Jill, this is my dream and you're making me angry now. That's my dream. All right. Well, in that case, let's move on. Heather, get angry. When's your birthday, Heather? <laughs> June 2nd. Coming up. <laughs> ding, ding. Let's talk a little bit about Alix's background as an influencer, because that's actually the chapter that comes right after this, like, very explosive, intense scene, is we learn about the mother who, it turns out, what, ever since college, like, would do this really cute thing where she would just ask companies to give her stuff and they would do it uh, because she would post about it on social media or whatever, which I think is just, like, such a great example of just like the audacity and and privilege that she grows up with that like that's that's the world she lives in where she's just like oh yeah I just ask them for stuff and they give it to me it's just like such exquisite entitlement this book at this point to me could have just been titled this bitch <laughs> I was over a leaks from the jump. I want yep, yep. Alix to have gotten scammed from the fire festival. I want bad <laughs> things to happen to her. So yeah, and <laughs> turn, she she ends up starting this cute company that's based on like letter writing called Let Her Speak. And it's like, I don't know, she tries to get connected with the Hillary campaign at one point, but it's the way Kylie Reed describes it. You don't get a lot of, there's not a lot of context or like depth to what this thing is, right? Like, okay. I want to say though, <laughs> uh-huh. as an intensely mediocre Karen myself. <laughs> Listen, you're a Becky. Don't sell yourself short. Aim okay. higher. 
Let's just say sometimes Beckys worry about being Karens and have yeah, Karen-like yeah, tendencies, yeah. and can, it's embarrassing. I can relate to that, yes. Like they have Karen shame. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. this kicked up so much of my Karen shame that I can't even handle it. Um, although she's pretty obviously an unlikable human, I, what I loved about how this book was written is that her reasons for um, wanting these kind of vain and strange, shallow sort of distractions are very kind of clear. Like she feels like she's becoming irrelevant, which is a, that is a true and real central feeling to being mm-hmm. a Becky or a Karen, sure, honestly. Sure. Or any um, woman at that age, really. That's yes, a really universal yeah. truth. Well, and part of that, too, is like she had lived in New York and they've just moved to Philadelphia. Like she had mm-hmm. they, she had once she gave birth to her second daughter in New York, they were like, let's do it. Let's move to Philly. Let's, like, get the house. But she's still posting on Instagram pretending like she lives in New York. Like, she just can't let it go. Poser. Which I think is another great example of what you're talking about, Heather, right? Where it's just, like, she wants so desperately to be a part of this scene that she just, like, inherently isn't anymore. And and also, all of her friends, which, <laughs> I mean, we're not quite there yet, but we're the close. friends yeah. are an echo of her values. And the friends are all about, yeah, girl, just you got to lose that weight. Yes. The weight and you just stuff. get back in there and get that get that money. And don't worry, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll save you from irrelevance. And then in contrast, I mean, and this is real, like she has this birthday party for her daughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's actually the next. The next scene. The next right? scene, yeah, is... Alix's I mean she's mortified that this thing happened at the grocery store right like she just thinks it's the worst thing she has no idea how to talk to Amira her babysitter about it so she calls all of her best friends who all still live in New York they're like three ladies and they have this like group call about it and she's like what do I do how do like can I talk to her about this and they're all like oh my god absolutely you need to become her best friend essentially is the advice they give her. This was, okay, so this scene was a little bit of a carnival of, of horror Karens, okay? <laughs> and I had I did have a little tiny tick of like, this is kind of like sex in the city, but uh-huh. super warped and a little bit like, so almost a little bit too fantastically harsh <laughs> to these women. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're all horrified when she says she's gained weight. They're like, no, that's not you. Well, and the weight gain, for the record, is eight pounds from pre-baby, just to be oh clear. Oh, my God. I have gained eight pounds since I've sat since here talking to you. right? <laughs> and I'm finishing the, the opposite of pregnant. <laughs> so, yeah, it turns out the next day is the day of Briar's third birthday. Briar being the kid who Amira is the babysitter of. So Alex, or Alix, calls Amira first thing that morning just to make sure Amira is okay and that she still wants to come to the birthday party. And it's like just early enough of a phone call that Amira is like exhausted and disoriented. And I think it's just another fascinating example of like the consistency to which Alix thinks she is doing the right thing and like going out of her way to be helpful, but really just keeps violating boundaries that she should be able to see as the person like the powerful person in the dynamic right mm-hmm. yes and also her i love how the author uh, 
plays up her neurotic tics and how she, I mean, just not only the repeated apologies, but mm-hmm. also just like, you okay? Everything good? Everything, oh, you know, like hovering <laughs> around. Like I saw myself so much in that. It was just the shame. I mean, there's so much shame in this book for me. It's terrible. <laughs> it hurts. That's interesting because I feel like this book, like one thing I really love about this book is that I thought it was, it invited me as a white lady to reflect on my own like bias and racism, but it like without being super shamey. That's because you're cooler than I am. <laughs> Flat, full stop. Right? I mean, I have two girls, and I moved to the suburbs of L.A. out of a cool neighborhood. Man, so I just and, made both of you read this book that was, like, extremely yeah. triggering for each of Terrible. you. Terrible. Huh? No, I mean, this was a good way to start the year with self-reflection <laughs> yes. and yeah, guilt and shame. <laughs> yeah. And falling down a, a, a huge well uh, into the darkness. very kind of both of you to say. Uh, okay, it's so. <laughs> it was. So when payday comes, Elix gives Amira a bunch of money. And she buys herself this awesome leather jacket because she's like, why not? And that is the moment when she runs into Kelly on the train, who is the dude who recorded the video at the grocery store. And he asks her out. And they end up meeting up at the club later that night. Can I just interject that when he puts his palm, the palms of his hands on the top of the subway? Uh And she's like, that's really a show off move, but it's highly attractive. Mm -hmm. But it works. You could picture that. He's like a super tall guy. I was like curling my toes. (laughs) For for the, the sake of transparency, full disclosure here, I'm also married to a very tall white man. But unlike Kelly, he is not his group of friends, down-ass white boy. (laughs) Every group of black men has one white guy that is invited to things. (laughs) And Aaron has been that, but not for the reasons, like, he's just handy. He's nice to be around. He doesn't, like, (laughs) listen to a bunch of, like, very underground hip-hop. Actually, no, that's not true. He does. But it's not something that endears him to the black community. (laughs) So yeah, to put a little more context to this, Amira essentially is like, I'm meeting up with friends. I'm going to be at this bar. If you want to come buy me a drink, you can totally do that. But she doesn't think he's going to show up. Yeah. And then when he does, it's like with a bunch of black dudes at this club. And there's this amazing line. Kelly looked like he was getting filmed for the intro of an extremely problematic music <laughs> video. <laughs> It's so good. There's so many good lines. Drake song playing in the background. (laughs) Hilarious. So from there, they go back to his place. It's super hot. Um, It becomes clear that like he is definitely like more grown up than she is in terms of like he's got a consistent job. He has a pretty nice apartment. His furniture looks good. Like he's seven years older than her, so he's in his early 30s. And then the end of that chapter is where we find out that Kelly. This dude ruined Alix's senior year. But that's all we know about that so far. Yeah. And that's one of those things where you kind of realize because you find that out because you find out that he's from Allentown, Pennsylvania. Right. He's yes. got a map of his hometown yep. on the wall. And Amira's like, huh, Allentown. Yeah. She's Who like, do I know from that? Allentown? Yes. <laughs> Which tells you that she and her employer haven't even had like the smallest bit of small talk because that's like getting to know you 101 yeah yeah and Mm -hmm. and she never found that out about 
Alix, so what else doesn't she know? What else don't they know about each mm-hmm. other? And that comes into play in the whole rest yeah. of the book. Uh, we find out, I can't remember exactly where, I think it's a little later on, we find out that her name is actually Alex, but there came a point where she decided to become Alix, A-L-I-X, and to pronounce it weird, which even that is just like Ugh. so yeah. insufferable. Just <laughs> kill me now. So, Imagine this woman freshman year of college after one philosophy cat. <laughs> oh my god! Imagine her. Actually, I can picture. I think I've lead. met her actually. Um, so yeah. that's the end of part one. The opening of part two is when we find out that Alix and her efforts to like become BFFs with Amira is reading her phone because her she like Amira leaves her cell phone like charging by the front door, so Alix can read it on her way in. Which is like, okay, great. That's horrible. That's terrible. And and Alix is like getting home earlier and earlier so that she can like make Amira kind of hang out with her while they're on the clock. And then from there we get the flashback of Alix telling the most embarrassing moment of her life to her girlfriends back in the day. Which, Jill, you want to take this one? <laughs> okay. So... What had happened was <laughs> there's hard. There uh, the the gals uh, are sitting around jibber jabbing about mm-hmm. uh, times gone by mm-hmm. as you do. So yeah, they're so like they're sharing their most embarrassing moments. Yeah, and honestly, none of these things are that embarrassing. Or maybe I've just had a very embarrassing life <laughs> and yeah. it didn't register to me. Same with Alix's problem. Yeah, it was embarrassing. But I, I, I as she told her story, uh, she's a, a senior in high school. She's dating. Kelly, who is a year younger than she is, and she is, even in high school, the kind of person that's writing flowery letters to the people Mm -hmm. in in her life. Mm -hmm. So she's leaving these letters in his locker, talking about, come to my mansion. We have a paper pool. sext. Yes, it was a paper sext. <laughs> it wasn't. Did you send a paper sext? sext? So she's like, I got a jacuzzi. I got a pool. My parents are going to be out of town. Here's the code to the gate. Yeah. But the most popular kid in school, is Robbie. It Robbie. Yeah. He gets a hold of like the the gate combination and mm-hmm. he and his friends are just like, we're going to crash this party. We're going to hang out in the pool. And Alix says to Kelly that you you showed him the letter and Kelly is insistent that he had not. And Alix is like, well, how else would he know the code? Yeah, and and that yeah, we were it's here. like a complete violation of her privacy yeah. and respect. This is right after she loses her virginity yep. to him. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so she calls the she cops, calls the on, cops dude, on Robbie and his, friends, and his friends who are all black. Yes. And the cops come. Uh, Robbie loses his scholarship. Yeah, as it turns he gets out he's in an some athlete. real trouble. Yeah, yeah, and it kind of, you know, sets him up on a path. It sets Alexis's social status on a path for the remainder of the year. And uh, then Kelly breaks up with her shortly thereafter. Yeah. You know, I laughed. I, I don't know. I probably would have been heartbroken too. But he says to her, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here. I I think that we should go on separate paths. Go our separate, go our separate ways. ways. And I hope those paths never, never meet again. again. Never meet again. Yes. Yeah. Like, damn, homie. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. she's devastated. The old-fashioned ghosting. Yeah. And yeah. she's she's leaving this school and this life behind. And that's probably when she decides, you know, when I get to college, I'm going to be a whole new person. Somebody, yeah. Nobody's going to hurt me like this again. Well, and she even talks about how like she decides to go to a school out of state, even though that means more tuition. And then she has to take out student loans because her parents won't pay for it Mm -hmm. and it's just like you know it's this whole thing it's like a moment that defines 
the rest of her trajectory to a certain extent. I mean, like, that's partly why she decides to become a leaks, too. It's a kind of like a, a grasp for control. You can see her mm. kind of white lady control freak origin story. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and then you find out that uh, because Kelly goes on to kind of give his version of these events to Amira while they're dating. Uh, but, you know, she doesn't realize and Kelly certainly doesn't know that the same woman is Amira's boss. Right, right. So, yeah, like all of these pieces are slowly coming into place. And that's actually the end of part two. So I think we should just take a quick break here and then we'll resume in just a moment. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. So we also got some fun listener comments about Such a Fun Age. Jordan on Instagram said, some books take you three months to read and some take you three days. Damn, this one was good. It took Heather even less time than that. <laughs> a single day. And Lindsay on Goodreads said, I started the book in the morning and just finished at 1 a.m. I couldn't put it down. So with that said, I think like one of the most tense moments beyond, of course, that opening chapter is the opening of part three, which is the Thanksgiving dinner. So there's this horrible snowstorm in Philadelphia, which means both Amira and Kelly happen to not be able to fly home for Thanksgiving. And Alix, not knowing who Amira's boyfriend is and desperately wanting to become friends with Amira, invites them over for Thanksgiving dinner. And she has also invited her three best New York lady friends. So this is just like the perfect recipe for like an extremely amazing and awkward meal. Um, and let it be said that at this point, Alix is obsessed with Amira. Obsessed. Oh, yeah. Totally obsessed. So. Yeah. Inappropriately. Sees her as a possession. She refers to her as my sitter over and over again. Yeah. Every time I saw those words, I cringe. Yeah. yeah. It reminds me of an email we got actually from Amy who said, I felt like Alix's strange obsession with Amira was a mix of attempting to ignore her white privilege and racism, maybe even trying to atone for it, but also trying to befriend her or even own her in a way some people enjoy owning exotic animals. Oh. Right? Yeah. And also adopt sure. her while she ignores yes. her actual kid. When yes. when Alix's friends are like, Alix, you are the best thing that ever happened to this girl. <laughs> yeah. You're yeah. saving her life. It I yeah. think Ow. God weed is legal in the state of Illinois because <laughs> Honestly, I could not have gotten through that whole thing sober. I was so upset with them. But yeah, I mean, there is like this really intense, like fucked up scene before the Thanksgiving dinner starts where Tamara, who is Alix's black friend, asks 
Amira to like help her roll napkin silverware or something into a yeah. napkin and, and Tamara like a really obvious yeah like oh let like come chat with me I'm gonna take you under my wing now as like two of the only black people at this party and and Tamara like interrogates her about her hair mm. which was really horrible it was really read. horrible but it was a really great way to differentiate the kinds of black folks in this book yeah yeah we yeah, are not a yeah. monolith we contain multitudes blah 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 <laughs> but, thank you Jill huh? but, <laughs> but I mean each one of Amira's friends are different from each other mm-hmm. in that one generation of, of, of people but all four of them are so much different than Tamara is it's partially her age it's partially like that she's like a principal of a school and is like kind of used to being an authoritarian but there's also that kind of pull up your pants young buck mentality (laughs) and it doesn't matter how old you are as a black person let me tell you that you find a younger black person and you want to boss them around there's something in our DNA that is telling us to do that (laughs) but when you bring hair into it that brings a certain uh, class discussion into it Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh yeah, I mean, it feels like she's just coming in and being like, oh, I know how to fix you. Here's what we do. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know? And a black woman's hair, I mean, hair in general is very personal. It's your crown. It's your self-expression. And for her to go directly at the way that she chooses to present herself yeah. in front of company yeah. was very, uh, you know, maternal, but not in a good way. So, yeah, this is the point where you know that Alix is spinning out because here here she is. She thought this Thanksgiving dinner would be like the moment to get Amira to finally love her and she'd get to meet Amira's cute little boyfriend. Turns out Amira's boyfriend is her ex, this dude who ruined her senior year of college. So now like or for high school. Yeah. So now like as if she cared about what other people thought of her before. Now it's like to the max where she is just like like she stays up all that night after the dinner, like Googling Kelly and figuring out what he's been up to. And it's just like I just think it's a great scene. And then it culminates with Briar, the three year old, just puking everywhere. Classic. And Amira being the only one (laughs) who notices that Briar is sick. Because Alix is like so in her own head melting about all of it. down, melting down. Okay, can I just interject one? Sm- this is my only complaint with the entire book. Yeah, can I interject it here? or Should I wait? <laughs> no, I, if now is the time, Heather, do it. Okay, I want Amira and Briar to be together forever. Just to be clear, yeah, I'd prefer if Amira just ran out the door, grabbed Briar, and ran like out the actually door. kidnapped yeah. the child. Yes, that would kidnap so that well child and give her a better life. Uh-huh. She needs to be taken away from all of this. Yeah, um, but the only complaint I have as a mother, about the character of Amira is that in every single scene, she is the perfect nurturing caretaker of a three-year-old. <laughs> and in every single scene, that three-year-old is m- magically charming, and gloriously charming and lovable. And like quirky, the yeah. kid in Jerry Maguire. Okay. <laughs> a human brain weighs 15 pounds. <laughs> it's so easy to fall in love with even Tom Cruise, when or even you know Renee Zellweger, whichever way you want to see it, <laughs> when there's a perfect little delightful mascot soundtrack, might as well be Babu Freak or you know R two D two, standing next to you going, "I am adorable." But then on top of that, Amira is twenty five years old, twenty six yeah, years about old, about to at be twenty six. Yeah, she's around this three year old. Her nerves never fray, not once. I mean, that's a little bit magical, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. You think it's, it's too it, magical. 
I think it's a it's an archetype, actually, right? Like yeah. it's like she's a magical, wonderful. She's Mary Poppins. Yeah, and I and I think that that's that is a flaw. It's a flaw because you could all you need is one scene where her nerves are a little frayed, and she's yeah. like, "Okay, yeah. can you please just simmer the fuck down?" <laughs> I think that speaks to the author's like respect for the profession of of childcare, or mm. in in no way was the child care provider ever the bad guy like this perfect it's like being a nurse or a firefighter like this is a very important job it's a job that most women have had in their lives and i want to pay it the respect that i think it's due hmm. okay so after awkward thanksgiving that culminates in a child vomiting kelly and amira go back to kelly's place except that he decides right before he gets to the apartment that he actually wants to go to his favorite dive bar down the road. So he has the cab drop them off there instead. And it's like immediately evident to Amira that this is a very like white dude drinking space. Mm -hmm. And he immediately at her is like, you have to quit your job. Aleeks is a bad person. Like I never told you the backstory of this, but like she did this super weird racist thing back in high school where she called the cops on a couple friends and like, you need to quit. This is, you can't do this. You have to quit your job. You have to quit your job. And he gets to the point where he's like yelling at her. He's like slamming his hand on the table. Mm -hmm. She feels extremely uncomfortable. And she's kind of like, who are you to tell me that I have to quit my job? I've known you for like three weeks or three months or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know my life. It's also a great space for his particular control freak fantasy to play out because this white dive bar is like where he feels... At home, essentially. Yeah. yeah. There are very few scenes where anyone asks Amira how she feels. Zara and Briar yeah. are really yeah. the only. That's right. So she still does end up going back to his place that night. But she does. The, after that, it's like one of the only scenes where she really says her piece, I think, to him. Where And she kind of lays out. I forget. Maybe it's three things. And. You know, the first one is like, you can't just take me to bars like this. Yeah. And the other one is like, you can't keep mentioning this fucking grocery store video. Like, I don't want to do anything about it. You need to respect that. And I forget what the third one is, but it's it, it was essentially it was a great scene because it is one of the only times where you really see Amira standing up for herself against someone who thinks they have her best interest in mind. Right. Mm -hmm. And once again, Amira thinking long term, she gave herself the time and space to really think about what she wanted to say. She didn't respond yeah. off the cuff and yeah. say something that she might go on to regret as opposed yeah. to literally everyone else. Yeah, that she evening. doesn't lose her shit. She doesn't hit anything or yell. Yeah. I kind of love, I want to be more like Amira in my everyday life. Oh God, life. me too. Me too. She has so much restraint. Even just that scene where she meets Kelly and, she, and he's flirting with her and she's like, mm, not quite good enough. <laughs> I'm like, God damn it, I know, please. boys love that shit though. I know, Jesus. I'm like, Hey, oh, do you need my number? Need oh, let me get it. Wait, hold on. I'll find it. <laughs> he just said I was his girlfriend. I am I'm his girlfriend. I'm his girlfriend. Yeah, me. Here. Should I not get off? Should I just go to your stop? Way to lock it down, Heather. <laughs> I'm so, so... Two kids later, oh, yeah. it clearly worked. I know how to seal that deal. Yes, sir. I'm so mysterious. Wow. Uh, so from there, we find out Alix is... Like, she has completely lost it. She's spending way too much time, like, stalking these people on Facebook, looking as much stuff up as possible. She decides to spend a couple so days time. in New York 
with the younger baby to like revitalize her New York life to strive to become more relevant. And she's supposed to be doing work things, but all she does is, like, eat ice cream at her favorite spot yep. and take pictures. Of exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like a 13-year-old. Yep. And then from there, the plan is for her to come back from New York and to tell Amira that Kelly is a bad person. She essentially wants to do the same exact thing Kelly did, where she's like, Kelly's racist. He fetishizes black women. He's only ever dated black women. I can tell this because I've been stalking him on Facebook for the last week. You need to break up with him. Which is fascinating and frustrating and kind of perfect, right? Yeah. These these two people who desperately want a mirror in their lives are doing like the most to push her away. And I feel like these grown up adults should have thought of that part of it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the part of a mirror that makes her uh, a, a person you want to be around is that she is like smart and funny and able to like make her own decisions and live her life and they're trying to strip that one thing that she has i think uh, or that she might think she has her autonomy yeah away from her i think it's also a great example of uh the fact that both of these white people have decided the other white person is extremely racist you guys aren't a monolith either you can contain <laughs> multitudes nuances <laughs> of racism really so from there Aleeks comes back from New York and essentially tells Kelly that he's a bad dude. Amira's kind of like, yeah, no, I don't think so. I feel like I know this guy pretty well. He's not fetishizing me. I'm going to go to this movie with your daughter like we had planned. And then Aleeks in like two seconds, one of the most astounding things decides to go to Kelly's workplace and confront him about his racist dad. And how might Aleeks know where Kelly works? Good question. It's because she's been reading Amira's text messages Mm -hmm. for like the past three months. Mm -hmm. Oh, I hate her so much. That interaction, too, is so amazing because Kelly, you know, I mean, who's obviously flawed in his own way, too. Like he calls bullshit on a lot of the things that Aleeks is saying to the point where, you know, she's like Amira's like family to me. And he's like, oh, that's cute because, you know, today is her birthday. Right. And you have her working. And Aleeks had no fucking clue because she doesn't actually care about Amira at all, essentially. Right. Once again, getting to know you 101 out the window straight to obsessive stalking. Yep. And then she goes home and... (laughs) manages to open up the computer, realizes Amira's email is still open from checking movie times before, finds the fucking grocery store video that Kelly had emailed to her and sends it to the fucking local TV station. Yeah. Calls her husband's co-worker and is like, who she doesn't even like, by the way. (laughs) She calls this woman who's been desperately trying to get her to be her friend. And she's like, let me take advantage of this relationship and send it to the. I also like the part very much where this is the part where in case you weren't sure that Alex was a piece of shit, that she comes home and is like, oh, my God, I left the one kid I like here by herself. (laughs) The one kid I like. She forgot about the baby. The baby. She left the baby at home when she went to confront Kelly. She stalked this guy at his place of work, got home and only realized that she had forgotten her child at Uh, home when she started fussing on the baby monitor. And then she's like, imagine how bad it would have looked if something had happened. Yeah. Not imagine how bad, uh, you know, my child would be in pain if something had happened. Like, oh my God, what if Instagram found out? And then despite this moment that should have told her on herself, she still sends that video. Yeah. She still. Yeah. Yeah. That because that could have been the moment 
where like major character development, she's like, oh my God, I just left my baby unattended to what go yell at this person. She's who... not a learner. She's not a learner. <laughs> yeah, she right. doesn't like learning. Yeah, because that could she, have been she it. basically it's kind of like a parable about someone who wants to just does things to fix them, fix them, control them, Ooh, fix that's them. That's a really interesting point. And not and never learns, never takes in the information around them. Like she's looking for clues and hints that yeah. back up her hypothesis. Yes. You know? Yeah. But, but she's, she's never looking to She's never present. the hypothesis. Yeah. So as we have learned, it's Amira's birthday. She goes to a party that night. All of her friends are there. Kelly shows up. Oh, yeah. It's All Amira's of a sudden, yeah. one of her friends, it's her 26th birthday, which is like fun, but also ominous, right? Because she's about to lose health insurance. And mm-hmm. this is like a very real deadline for her. So all of a sudden, her friends are like, girl, we got to go in the bathroom. Like, I have something you need to see. They go in there. Turns out the video has like gone viral online because fucking Alik sent it out. But Amira doesn't know that it's Alik's who did it, right? Mm-hmm. She assumes it's Kelly because Kelly was the only one who had the video. So she comes out, confronts him, accuses him of doing this. All of her friends back her up and she leaves and essentially just like hides out in her house for the rest of the weekend because she's mortified that this video is out in the world and it wasn't on her terms. And she thinks the guy that she really trusted sent it out. Yeah. And that's when Alix decides to go over to Amira's house, which she's never done before, and offer her. It's so scary. Yes, yeah. it is really scary. And she brings the children. She brings the children. It's nighttime. Yeah. It's like 11 at night. And she decides to offer Amira a full time job. With benefits and all of it. She's like, she essentially thinks that now that this video is out, she gets to salvage everything. They're starting from scratch. Obviously, she thinks that it was Kelly who submitted it. So that means that she'll break up with Kelly and she wins. She gets to keep Amira. And Amira accepts the full-time job because she doesn't know any better. And they decide to do a segment on the local TV station to discuss the video now that it's out in the world. Which is another amazing scene. It's such a good scene. Oh, my God, isn't it? How many Mm -hmm. life-changing conversations have happened in your lives in a ladies' room? Or in a bathroom? (laughs) Like with one of you sitting on the toilet? Yeah. Yeah. Or texting on top of a sink or or something like that. I mean, that's that's real life, especially for for young girls. The the conversation in the club happened in the bathroom. Yeah, that's true. When she comes back from the grocery store, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so so what happens is they all meet up at Alix's house. They're going to do like a live hit from Alix's place with Alix and the kids and Amira talking about this video that the grocery store video. And so Amira goes over there, she brings Zara, and Zara overhears Alix asking the news anchor if she did the right thing by sending her the video. And that's when Zara's like, oh, shit, Kelly didn't actually send this video at all. It was leaks. And so she goes to find Amira, who's getting ready in the bathroom, and is like, hey, we need to get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. You can't take this job. You cannot take this job. Mm-hmm. And and they're in the bathroom, and it's just such a great scene because Zara essentially coaches her into finding another job that exact moment. She's like, nope, call the other people you're temping with. See if they can offer you a full-time job. We're going to negotiate a decent <laughs> hourly rate while we're in the bathroom. Yeah. We're going to kill time telling them that makeup is just taking longer and I need my comb for my edges. And we're going to like make this happen right now so that you have a job when you walk out and tell Leeks to go fuck herself on camera. <laughs> So she gets this job. It's the job that she had before, the transcribing Yeah, with job. the Green Party. Yeah, it's like an and, assistant there. Yeah. And so the the viral video brought 
her to the forefront of that like employment pile mm-hmm. with with the Green Party. Mm-hmm. I loved that that like two minute negotiation that was probably just like loudly whispered. Well, and like Zara's got her calculator out. She's like calculating hourly rates, yeah. and she's like, "What yeah. about dental?" Like they're doing. Ask them about dental, which is such a beautiful <laughs> moment too of just like adulting and yeah. what it takes to make it happen, and how amazing it is that she has this friend who's been with her this whole time. Everyone needs a friend like who's that. like okay, fourteen dollars an hour is fine as long as there's health insurance. It's also a really nice contrast because what they're planning, like the wildness that happens after that, it's like (laughs) the the forward-facing aspects of how they seem from the outside and how they actually are and how smart they are and how like meticulous they are about their lives and how responsible. It's just a really interesting contrast in um, a study in contrast. It is really cool. Whereas Alik seems very detail-oriented, but is screwing everything up and is actually completely disorganized, less their baby in the crib and, you know. But she seems so together in her, look at her flower arrangements. Uh Yeah, that's a really great point. There's a really good contrast here between the two sides of of friend Zara, right? Like, and Mm -hmm. in one moment, she's like doing math and like coaching her friend as like her life mentor. And then... But she's also calling Kelly like L.L. Bean Dick. Yeah. And um, (laughs) Amira knows that those two sides exist in that same friend. So she tells her, listen, we're still going to do this interview. We're still doing it. But when I give you the signal, fuck shit up. need to wild out. <laughs> <laughs> and her friend without hesitation oh, is like, Bet. I got you. <laughs> yeah, I, oh, I got this. It's so amazing. So I squealed when I read this. I was like, oh, yes. So yeah, she still does the interview and it seems like everything is fine. But then it gets to the point where the TV news anchor asks Amira, she's like, so you're going to you're going to be working full time for leaks, right? And Amira's like, actually, no, I got this Mm-mm. other job. And Elise is so. like completely confused. She like does, she cannot compute. And then Amira says, who wants to say it? Mm, she gets her so good. She gives her the, <laughs> she drops the Kelly line on it. I think we, uh, I think we need to go our separate ways and <laughs> that our paths should never cross again. And then she walks off and then Zara jumps on camera and she's like, yeah, cash money records represent from 2000 or whatever it is that she says. Drops the end bomb on network. We shall overcome, right? She's got like her fist in the air. Oh my god, I loved it so much. So good. It was so cathartic, wasn't it? It feels cathartic even talking about it right now. Like it was just exquisite. So good. Yeah. And like satisfying. There's you remember that Simpsons episode where Lisa breaks Ralph's heart and they go back on the videotape and like you can see the exact moment where his heart (laughs) shattered. And frame by frame, just his face. I want that of Alix's face as like her entire world. So yeah, crumbled. this is a great moment to say that before this book was even published, Lena Waithe had already optioned the book. Yeah. So we will get to see that moment yes. on a screen. Oh, it's so it's so optionable. This book. Oh my Every gosh. Si- single second, I was like, "Is this a screenplay? Come yeah, on!" Yeah. No, all the dialogue. It's written for like, the screen. Beautiful. Yeah, it's perfect. So, yeah, I mean, that's really the climax of the story. From then, we get, like, a little bit of kind of what happens next, at least. We don't hear any more about what Alik, what happens with Aleeks. We Ooh. know Amira gets a sweet job as an admin assistant yeah, that she feels really good about. Um, we see she runs into Kelly a couple years later, and he's dating a, is it a light-skinned <laughs> black girl, right? Who sells soaps at the Who farmer's market. Who sells soaps at the farmer's market. Um, so much in that one little image. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, and then there's this last paragraph that I want to spend a little while talking to you guys about because I don't know if y'all remembered it, but it completely yep. 
I read it like five minutes Ooh. ago. So yeah. <laughs> it, uh, it is searing. I like laughed out loud in a, like a, oh my God, she did this way. It says, deep into her 30s, Amira would wrestle with what to take from her time at the Chamberlain house. Some days she carried the sweet relief that Briar would learn to be a self-sufficient person. And some days Amira would carry the dread that if Briar ever struggled to find herself, she'd probably just hire someone to do it for her. Oh, damn. Right? Yeah. Poor Briar. That's also a a callback to a line earlier in the novel. Oh, it's is one it? of my favorite scenes. Yeah, they're at the aquarium. Amira and Briar are at the aquarium, and the lights go out. And Briar says, oh. Mira, I can't find me. Oh, that's so oh. true. And I like circled it 15,000 times, and I'm like, theme of the whole book. Wow. <laughs> like these people are all struggling to find themselves. And they're all running to Amira to oh, figure it out it's for so them. so sad. I, I just cried for like five minutes when I read sad. that. Ooh, so let's we, not forget about the part the, where we flash back to high school. Oh, you're yes. right. I skipped yep. that. Yes, that is lets very you know important. That in case you were struggling to understand whether or not Alix comes from a place of good, she 100% <laughs> does not. So after the pool party where she called the cops on the black dudes and she has to go back and, I don't know, do like she's two cleaning weeks out of school yeah, as yeah, a yeah. social pariah, she's like tasked to clean out lockers on the last day of school. And she starts at the letter Z uh, because she doesn't want to get to Kelly's locker too soon. He is a, a C last name. Yeah. So she starts at Z and she goes back towards uh, the A elevators and she finally gets to Kelly's lockers. It's one of those locker situations where they aren't full height lockers. Like there's one row on the top and one row on the bottom. Yeah. So she's like lovingly, but also like resentfully cleaning out Kelly's locker. She's like, the, the locker I dropped so many letters into. Now, mind you, this whole time, Kelly's been insistent that he never showed this letter yep. with all the yep. secrets yep. to his friend, whose last name also begins with a C, uh-huh. if we'll remember. So as she's cleaning out these lockers, she gets to Robbie's locker, which is directly underneath Kelly's locker. She's cleaning it out. And she feels something. And there's like a bunch of notes that there's she had written bunch. wedged in there because they fall from Kelly's locker to the other dude's locker. So she opens them up and finds out that Kelly, in fact, had never gotten the letter with the the key codes and the all that stuff. Robbie found out all that stuff on his own. And instead of just like going to Kelly and apologizing or working on herself, she decides. Yeah, she like actively decides. Yeah. It's cleaner if I forget that I ever found these. To pretend <laughs> yeah. like Kelly was just an asshole. She said she's already made up her mind on what narrative she wants to present to the world and that if she deviated oh, from it at yeah. all, it would really not do her any good. So what difference does it make? Yeah. If this kid's scholarship gets revoked, what difference does it make if this boy that she says ruined her senior year is actually not at fault at all? She's going to college. She doesn't need any yep. of this. And she's going to be a leaks now. That's It's like she's the same point. It's control. So, yeah, let's listen to a voicemail that I think kind of ties into this. This is from Molly talking about what she thought a couple of the like more takeaways of this book were. So I guess the takeaway for me was something along the lines of making sure that you're actually listening and asking um, what a person of color needs in an ally and not just doing whatever you think is best um, or what would make you feel morally superior in this situation. I felt like both Kelly and Alex were really 
guilty of not listening. Um, also, to make sure you stalk all your exes on social media so you aren't surprised if you live in the same city as them. <laughs> Pretty good takeaway. Very good point. <laughs> Let's listen to another takeaway voicemail. This is Jen. Hey, Nerdette. I think the moral of such a fun age is that no one is ever truly woke. It's true. There was a lot of performative wokeness happening yeah. in this book. Yeah. I mean, it kind of makes me think that, like, you just should never actually say you're woke, right? Uh-uh. Like, Yeah. You don't know what you are. You never know what you are, you right. know? Yeah. Question all your assumptions and question what you think you are, because you're probably wrong. And uh, it it seemed that every attempt at wokeness in this book backfired spectacularly. Uh, every time anybody set out with good intentions to be less that kind of white person... They ended up leaning into being that kind of white person, and it was <laughs> re- yeah. it was very cringy yeah. to just really see people get it wrong it. at every turn. Yeah. So can we go back to that last line just for a second? Because I think it's I think there's a lot in it that's really interesting, and it actually the reason I started thinking about it was because uh, someone named Karen on Instagram asked us if we thought the author was suggesting that like leaks learned about her true self from Amira. Briar might also have to do the same, which I think it's is not quite the case. One, because I don't think Alix ever actually truly learned about herself. To me, it kind of got me thinking about like the idea of outsourcing things that you should know better about, you know, and I think that kind of speaks Heather too to the idea of like if you're refusing to learn, then of course you're going to have to pay somebody to do a lot of things for you. Um, But we actually got a really interesting voicemail from Ilana Massad, who is a writer in her own right. She actually reviewed Such a Fun Age for NPR, and she sent us a voicemail, and this is what she said about that last line. To me, the last paragraph of the book is so heartbreaking because of what it says about the ways in which we teach classism and racism and assumptions about how power works in the world. Briar is an innocent for much of the book. Um, And that last paragraph in which Amira grows older and begins to wonder about Briar getting older is one that betrays the fact that really no one is born with any kind of understanding of any of this, right? We are taught how to behave within our class, within our race. We're taught both by the people who mean us well and often by the people who mean us harm. And Briar is going to be raised by Aleeks. And we know how Aleeks is. So what does that say about how Briar is going to be? I want Briar to grow up and rebel. Like, Well, I mean, there's a good chance of that. Yeah, there's a good chance of that. Because when you're... I mean, look... Alix was a bad learner, or she would have learned from her parents' mistakes instead of becoming a little uh, clone of them. Yeah. But, you know, when you grow up in a, a totally commodified, <laughs> insane, you know, outsourced environment, a lot of people uh, become, you know, activists, hippies, artists in that environment. You That's know? true. I mean, a lo- There's some statistic, actually, that, or at least this was true, like, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, that most artists come from either aristocratic ranks or the working class. There are not a lot of middle class huh. 
I like to think that Briar becomes, you know, some kind of. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I mean, she must be based on a real kid. She's so. I know she's yeah. really. Real. Excellent. Um, yeah. And she's so inquisitive. She seems to be a learner. She she seems to. She, yeah, she does. Prioritize but learning. like she could unlearn that. You know, I mean, like just because she's like that at three, if mm. enough things don't go her way, she's not going to do that anymore. Right. Mm. Let me also say that we're all actually in danger of becoming people who hire someone else to do things for us but oh, not, I mean I'm not, wait. I'm not saying that <laughs> mediocre Karens aren't particularly uh, uh, you know don't have enough immunity against that in particular yes we have a little problem with it but I also think that um, I don't know I just feel like the, our culture teaches us that path oh, and it's never sure. taught us that path more vividly and vibrantly and held that in front of us than it does at this moment I honestly think this is one of those times where I'm I, I, I'm doubling down on my if I were president or whatever, how everyone in the world would be, uh, you know, instead of like forced military service, you'd have to work in like a restaurant or a coffee mm. shop or a retail location for like a year, and I think it would really help people's perspectives on on class and and the yeah. hierarchy of of our society. This is a woman who's never really had to be on the other side of the service industry or of the hospitality yeah. industry or the childcare industry. And so she doesn't know that how it feels to be on the other side of that with somebody telling you what to do and making you wear a uniform or just leaving money on a counter and telling you to go off and have a good day. She doesn't know how it sounds coming out of her mouth to do all of those things. Yeah. Well, thanks for reading this book with me, you two. I appreciate it. Thank Should we just you. say that this book is fucking great? <laughs> it's right? fucking great. How is this? I loved first, it. This first time novelist wrote a better story about feminism and patriarchy oh. than the goddamn testament. <laughs> you know what? It really was just such a good ride. It kind of is like the... Wasn't um, it? It's so plotty. The Gone Girl of Race. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. And class. Yeah. But but so juicy and delicious. Just so vivid. Her. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we got to leave it at that, ladies. But thank you so much. This was such a pleasure. And I'm glad you actually liked the book. We'll call it a oh win. Oh, my God. Loved it. What a relief. <laughs> All right, that's it for this month's book club. Next month, a new book, a new panel. We're going to do Uncanny Valley by Anna Wiener. I have not yet read it. It's a memoir about working in the tech industry. It looks pretty fucking cool. Find out the details when you sign up for our newsletter at wbez.org slash nerdettaf. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter or Instagram or at Nerdette Podcast. And we have a Goodreads book club group. You can find that if you just search for Nerdette Book Club. The show is produced by me, Greta Johnson, along with Justin Bull. Our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. Go read a book already. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.